Angela. Angela was the prophetess. Who the fuck is Angela? All right, let's do this. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel. My pronouns are he and him, and I am here with my draconic co-hosts. Ah, oh, shit. Well, my name is Cassidy. I go by they, them, for them, their pronouns. And uh, I am an elf not appearing in this film. Oh, I feel like there are no elves that appear in this film, so that's fitting. You know, it's discrimination. They wrote us out, and... Um, I think they edited you out. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't there that... Uh, I thought the elf queen was in this. Elf princess. Yes, and what made her elven? Well, elves have pointy ears, right? Uh, I am told. That is a gross stereotype. <laughs> oh, no. Are I we, guess she are, did not have pointy ears. I guess the podcast is finally being canceled, guys. Yeah. This is just the way things are. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But who are you? Me? Yeah, you. Oh, me? No, not you. You already said. You're oh, the dungeon guess. manager, Jamie that's, Mokel. That's true. <laughs> and my pronouns are he and him. That's right. But my name is Jack Olander. My pronouns are she and her. Ooh. And I'm a traveling cheese merchant. Ah. Ooh, I've that, got a carriage full of cheese. That sounds like a good life. Nice slice of cheese character. That's right. Just don't ask me to cut the cheese. <laughs> cheese whiz, mister. <laughs> also, I don't have to worry about dragon riders, but dragonborn tend to really go through my stock really quickly. Oh, no. Yes. Yeah, they're freaking sneaking around, stealing the wheels of cheese. Eating an entire wheel of cheese in one click? Exactly. They just never poop, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, they really missed the opportunity in Skyrim to let your character crap. <laughs> <laughs> crap their pants. That's right. I remember the first time I played um, Fallout 3, and, you know, when you go to the bathroom and there's toilets, you have the use option. <laughs> and in Fallout, you know, it's oh, a yes. post-apocalyptic world without water. Right. So you drink the toilet water, and I was just like, wait, what is happening? You know, Borderlands <laughs> is the game where I think... I could see them letting you crap your pants, but they haven't yet been brave enough to put it in there. But there's a pant pooping joke in Borderlands. Yeah, I'm sure. but you can't actively do it while you're playing. And there's I no think, button. There's for, no yeah, button for. I think if they're brave enough to do this in the next game, I'm calling them out. Brave um, enough. <laughs> you hear that gearbox? Yeah. If you're brave enough, you that don't have to shit their pants. <laughs> It you don't be, have the rectum to put it in your it next It should be game. like a character that can do this in battle to like cause enemies to run away from you. So, Cass, are you telling me that your favorite game of all time is Castle Crashers? Yes. Well, I, not favorite, but it's it's fun. Because of the part, of course, where all the animals are shitting themselves when the big monster is like clomping through the forest. Yeah, it's pretty good. And the bear, like, comes out of the trees, and then you hear the rumbling, and then you see brown splattering all up behind him. Yeah. Yes. And then there's the deer that, like, propel poops itself across the screen. Those are the two that I remember as well. Those are the deer <laughs> that you ride in that, like, chase scene. That's and right. And they're, they're 
going fast enough because they're shitting themselves along. <laughs> That's right. I do not believe they are running. I think they're just rocket propelling. propelled. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, guys, welcome to Castle Crashers talk. Um, <laughs> Dungeon Manager works for that, too. That makes sense. But all of this to say, my fantasy cheesemonger business is called the Cheese Wheel of Time. Ooh. Colon. Blockage. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, very fitting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's good. All right. Well, um, as you can probably tell by now, <laughs> this week, your beloved satirists are going to be talking about Eragon. Eragon. Not Aragorn. Which is what you and Jack keep saying. Which is the, of course, <laughs> best character from the Lord of the Rings. But Ergon. Controversial. Not Aragorn. Ermagerd, it's Ergon. <laughs> Aragon. <laughs> Which is naturally based on a book. Right. Where have the dragon riders gone? That is a question we will potentially answer in the next hour or so. Yes. That sounds like a song that they would have in world. Where have the dragon riders gone? Yeah. That's pretty good, actually. I wish more fantasy movies like did world building like that. Yeah. Because it works great in like the Elder Scrolls when you get to hear songs about the dragonborn coming. Yes. I know. It's true. It, it's very compelling. Or like in the Witcher video games, there's just a song about how Geralt and Yennefer have this like long-term romance. See, bards or minstrels are great for fantasy storytelling. That's we got one in the Dungeons the newer Dungeons and Dragons movie. Yeah. And that's that was right. great. But how would you feel if you walked into a bar and somebody was just singing a song about you? That'd be a little awkward. I know everyone knows about your will they won't they relationship <laughs> and all your dirty laundry. It's like, hey, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, and there's another Elder Scrolls connection here. Cause you know, they sing the Dragonborn comes, which I already mentioned. Yeah. You're the Dragonborn who has come. You came. Exactly. He has risen. And then they He went. has risen indeed. <laughs> and then there he went. <laughs> so as you can tell, we're really excited to talk about Aragon <laughs> because we keep getting distracted and talking about other things. But let's cover some of the basic details and then maybe jump into a summary here. Sounds good. <laughs> so this film was directed by Stefan Fangmeyer and it stars You made that up. <laughs> <laughs> and it stars Ed Spielers, Jeremy Irons returning. Yes. Sienna Gilroy and Robert Carlyle. You're Sienna Gilroy? <laughs> I'm not Sienna. Also, also, Rachel Wise plays the dragon Sephira. Thank you. And maybe most importantly, and also least importantly, John Malkovich. Is John Malkovich making his Swords and Satire debut with this movie? I think so. No! He was in Warm Bodies. Thank you. I was like, I feel like we've watched something with him for the show. Robert Carlyle is like, as Durza is like, the, this is the first time he's in one of our movies. That's a little surprising, but probably just because I primarily know him besides from the full Monty. Yeah. From that very cheesy, but kind of fun show Ever After or whatever. Once upon, upon a time. time. Whatever. <laughs> it's this, practically the same it's thing. It's the bookends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So, guys, why don't we summarize this film and then jump into a conversation about okay, it? Okay, fine. <laughs> So here's your summary for Aragon. So there's this farm boy, right? And he's waiting for a bearded master to teach him the old ways so that he can bestow upon him a blue weapon that will be used to strike down the evil empire that is tormenting the people. Yeah, I, I, we're not going to talk about Star Wars today, Jamie. I was talking about Aragon. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let's start over. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Uh, so there's this guy named Aragon, right? And he's a little boy. And I, I like to call him Strider. <laughs> and uh, basically, the evil empire wants to take him down because he's a new dragon rider and they're trying to exterminate all those guys. Yike. Because they're powerful and Galbatorix... Which I like a, to call him John Malkovich. Which is a totally normal name, by the way. No um, notes. Don't know why you'd think it was weird. He's it's the, no weirder than Malkovich. <laughs> he's the evil dictator, and he wants to control everyone. And so dragon riders kind of get in the way of that, you know. Um. So they, they kind of harsh his vibe. And uh, so he thinks a new dragon rider in the lands would be totally cringe and so he sends out his lieutenant and minions to go dispatch of them yeah his black pilled lieutenant durza <laughs> this dude is so disgusting his fingernail can kill you uh, it's true we've seen him do it multiple times um but so they go after aragon and by then, though, the dragon egg hatched, and the new dragon, Sephira, went from a baby to an adult in about 20 seconds, in movie and as a viewer. And uh, they can, uh, Aragon and Sephira can telepathically speak with one another. Oh. And she forces him to flee against his will. And yeah, but it's probably a good idea. Yeah, his uncle is killed. Luckily, his... Uh, oh, let's see. The farm boy's uncle is killed, you yeah. say. Hmm. Luckily, uh, his cousin had left beforehand because he thought, like, that little town was too quaint and he wanted to see the world. And also, he didn't want to be recruited into the military. Oh, right, right, right. Based. That's a good point. So, yeah, uh, his farm is in shambles and it's actually on fire, so he can't really go back there. I didn't know that his farm was in California. Yeah. It was. He didn't start the fire. <laughs> no, the evil empire did. No, Brom did. Oh, so, yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> he just wanted to get... <laughs> oh, that's right. He, doesn't he burn the house down because Aragon's like, well, I gotta bury my uncle, and Brom's is like, fuck it, we'll just have a cremation. He yeeted that house. A king's funeral, he says. Yeah, he dabbed on him hard. He's like, fuck you and your feelings. We're going on the road now. And so he wants to take him to the Varden stronghold. And so they set out on a journey. To the Rebel Alliance. I mean, the Varden stronghold. 
And in order to get to the Varden stronghold, they need a training montage. Exactly. Now, I thought you were going to say a train and then I missed something really cool in this movie. A sick dragon train heist. Uh, oh shit. That would be cool. <laughs> but wait, let's just talk about this movie. Yeah, well. Uh, no, no, no. We have to summarize what we saw. It doesn't exist yet. <laughs> but there is a training montage. However, there's a little bit of frustration as... There is not a lot of trust between Brom and Aragorn. Arag Aragon. Aragon. Yeah. <laughs> very simple. Yeah. Aragon. And so Aragon isn't so sold on this idea of going to find the Varden. He doesn't really care too much about bringing down the evil empire other than what else is there to do. However, he finds something else to do. He finds his own mission. That's right. Because in his dreams... There is a uh, heteronormative romance he is forced into. Uh, yeah, he's running blindfolded into that thing. That's right. He's told in his dreams by a not elven maiden. <laughs> I'm trapped in a castle. Come save me. And so he decides he's going to do that thing. So the princess tells Aragon that he has to save her. That's right. The farm boy. Hmm. Yes. Ah, yes. Right. <laughs> ah. It would have only been more on the nose if she had sent the message to Brom. Right. That's Help right. me, Brom. You're my only hope. That's right. <laughs> but Aragon shows up to save the day, but the mission goes bad. But the mission goes good. <laughs> and the princess is like, aren't you a little short for a soldier? <laughs> yeah, Brom is kind of like mortally wounded. Brom gets mortally wounded. So the farm boy's mentor is killed. Sacrificing himself. Sacrificing himself to help the farm boy achieve his ends. Hmm. Does he come back as some kind of ghost? No. <laughs> in fact, he gets put in a glass coffin so everyone can see him decay. Oh. Eh, close enough. But an ally was made along the way. Yeah, he actually first showed his face when they were trying to escape the castle. Murtog. Yeah. Ah, yes. A suave, roguelike ally with an uncertain set of alliances shows up to help the farm boy and build a little bit of romantic tension. With the farm boy, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, guys. <laughs> That's right. They eventually find their way to the Varden... Death Star, I mean... Varden Stronghold. <laughs> in which point, Murtog has to be arrested for having more chemistry with the main character than the romantic interest. True. Yeah. That's a, a arrestable offense in a movie. So, Especially one from 2006. That's right. So he's taken away. Can't have any of that. Nope. No, no... <laughs> No character chemistry is allowed in this film. That's right. So, finally at the stronghold, Durza shows up to try to kill Aragon, the last dragon rider. And he kind of has, like, the king's army with him and stuff. Yeah, but that is so background to this movie, <laughs> it might as well have just been a matte painting of, like, armies fighting each in other. In fact, I believe it probably was. No, it was CGI. <laughs> It was hand puppets in the background. <laughs> so 
Durza and Aragon have like a dragon battle. Durza just sounds so much like a Ligma joke waiting to happen. <laughs> Durza balls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they have a sky battle fight uh, on their dragons. Durza has like a shadow smoke dragon. I don't know. It's very strange. He was so jealous that Ergon um, God got a cool dragon. Yeah, that he had to create one for his own out of shadow. I was like, dude, you can't just make shit up that you're a dragon rider and have people believe you. That is so like, Oh yeah, you want to ride a dragon? Well, watch this. <laughs> like no that's not real man they also uh recruit the allyship of the dwarf king hrothgar who is you know like a dwarf he's tall broad <laughs> Except <laughs> average now, human height just you know glossing over the fact that he's a dwarf dwarves are broad they are broad aragon um does defeat durza <laughs> but he like Flies he overcomes Durza. He yeah. flies at him in the sky, sword first, because he was launched by uh, Saphira's tail, and he just like flies at him with the sword. Dude, so Saphira and Aragon have this like combo move where she whips him with her tail, <laughs> and they make the fucking shot of the century hitting a moving human-sized target at like 30 miles per hour launching him like a fucking spear. <laughs> right through the heart. I'm just like, alright, I mean, that was your one gambit was like, you either kill Durza or you just completely plow into a stone cliff face and die. <laughs> Those are your two options. Yeah. And, oh no, Aragon is badly wounded. Is he gonna survive? Yes, he does. Oh, Saphira was also wounded in the battle. Does she survive? Yes, absolutely she does. Yeah, because we forgot to mention Aragon has magic. <laughs> yeah. D uh, Saphira's throat is perforated by Durza's shadow dragon with holes the size of, like, three humans huddled together, and then she's just fine from Aragon's magic. He heals her with his own strength. Of yes. Will, I guess. And then the movie ends with a shot of King John Malkovich getting pissed off, slicing down his banner that was on his wall, like a banner map, and revealing the dragon that was very patiently waiting behind yeah. his map on the wall. And then um, I guess we'll be talking about the sequel next week. Or never, because they never were able to make it happen. Oh! But there are whispers of a series reboot to come. Whispers. Rumors of rumors. Yes. All right, guys. Well, I think we can probably head into the Delve. By which I mean we can order our pizza. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Aragon. We got our pizza ordered, so we're free to talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's how podcasts get made. You record an intro, pause to order a pizza, order the pizza, come back, you finish the episode. That's how every single podcast gets made. A pizza baked in dragon's breath. Oh, Ooh, that sounds way overcooked. Where the grease melts directly into the crust. <laughs> okay, now it sounds pretty good.
I think saying fat melts into it sounds way more appealing than grease melts yeah, into it. Yeah, I guess it. so. I would say so. But anyway, talking about the movie. Um, Do we gotta? You know, there was a lot it had going for it, right? But Absolutely. There was also something kind of weird about the pacing, and I was like trying to figure it out while we were watching it. And it's like I've seen this before <laughs> <laughs> in a different, better movie. Yeah, there's that. But also like. Or in a series of different, better movies. And that's saying something because those are all pretty flawed, too. We're talking about Star Wars for anybody who doesn't realize. Or the Lord of the Rings. Right. Um, which this movie also borrows heavily from. But what I was kind of realizing, what kind of hurt this was the pacing and it was kind of all in the character development and like character relationships and how those all seemed pretty rushed. Absolutely. This movie is trying to be an epic fantasy film in an hour and 40 minutes. You just can't do both. Well, it's based on a book series and their intention was to make a series of films so they were trying to set up the whole series with this one, but it doesn't do a very good job of that either. Yeah, they're trying. Unfortunately, the problem is, at the end of the day, this is a young adult series. Not that that is a problem. It's a problem that they try to make it epic and not just lean into, this is going to be a fun romp for kids, right? Like, yeah. you, that's a totally commendable an appropriate goal to make a fun movie for kids. They should have just done that. Honestly, it would have felt less rushed if they had ended on them getting to the stronghold and like building up tension that the army is coming after them. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like when they end on the cliffhanger like that, especially for a movie that has the dubious possibility of getting a sequel. Hmm. I'll say it felt really rushed and to me it wasn't because it was trying to be an epic film in such a short amount of time because i think of a few examples where an epic storyline can be told in like 20 minutes and namely the thing that comes to mind is like samurai jack sure where like barely any dialogue is needed for like a 20 minute episode to feel completely epic yeah. with multiple story beats. The problem with this movie is that it is primarily just expository dialogue. Exactly right. They try to do too much. Um, they don't show enough no. of the character building or like relationship building. They try to yeah, use exposition to rush that process along, and it really makes the whole project suffer. Yeah. So what? how that looks is like the characters kind of like yelling at each other and then like rushing along on their path and then like kind of talking to each other a little too openly about <laughs> their past and what their motivations are. And it's not very realistic dialogue. <laughs> Can't you tell that I'm motivated by my incredible poverty that makes me do desperate things when I need to survive? 
And that is used as like the stand in for them bonding. For instance, Aragon and Brom, who's supposed to be like his mentor figure. Right. They meet like three times, like throughout the movie before Brom becomes his mentor. And like the implication is supposed to be that they've known each other for years because they live in the same small village. Just jump right into that. Don't try to like set up Brom with all these little like moments of him being snarky at guards. Like that doesn't really tell us as viewers very much. Yeah, except that he's kind of salty. He's not <laughs> scared of authority because he's been at the top of the ladder and now he's at the bottom. Yeah, and we're going to display that by showing it three times and also by having him tell you that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but like the relationship between him, he and Aragon is just kind of established that like, oh, we've been through some trauma together and then... Oh, you also used to be a dragon rider and you lost your dragon. Suddenly we're like, we have a tight bond. It's like, no, they do have one scene where he's teaching him how to use the weapon or no, how to fight with a sword by like using sticks. Yeah. And he has to put the blast shield down. (laughs) Right. But um, it just isn't enough. They needed more of them kind of talking about what's important to them in their lives or um, showing more of them like helping each other on the road or something besides just shots of them riding their horses near each other. Like (laughs) What? That's not bonding to you? (laughs) That wasn't (laughs) enough. Like we don't need half of the movie felt like it was establishing shots of people riding horses across the country. (laughs) Or dragons. I kept constantly making the joke that Aragon would call people horse riders because he's a dragon rider. (laughs) (laughs) See, the thing is, you can do this character building and, like, relationship building in a film in a much more subtle way that still explains everything that the audience needs to know. Let me pick a random movie... Just any movie off the top of my head that I could use as an example of this. Let's say Star Wars A New Hope. Just totally random idea. I don't know why I thought of this movie for this example. Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? What do we know about Obi-Wan Kenobi right away when we like find out about him? We don't see him being snarky at some guards or some stormtroopers. Luke is like, Obi-Wan Kenobi? Well, I've heard of Ben Kenobi. He's like an old hermit. Okay, boom. We've got, like, a picture of this character in our head. Luke meets him. It's kind of mysterious. We introduce him. He knows stuff about Luke's father. We don't need to, like, have all these little moments, like, establishing him throughout, like, these moments in the film to, like, build the character up. We can just fill in the blanks. This movie is terrified of letting the audience fill in the blanks. Yeah. It won't do it. It won't allow (laughs) it. No. I just wish they had traded out a few of the establishing shots of them riding horses across the country. Like, we get it after, like, three or four. <laughs> yes. Um, to establish, like, oh, there's a small skirmish on the road, like, small stakes stuff, and they help each other. Yeah. I mean, they do show, like, this one caravan getting totally owned by a band of brigands that they don't even help them for that was terrible like (laughs) damn um 
Show somebody getting robbed and they help them or something. Listen, like, Cass, some people just skip the side quests. I guess so. Or like they go hunting together and they he like will have teach him part of like being one with nature to be a better dragon rider or something. Fuck. <laughs> it's just all a bunch of kind of ridiculous like terminology, right? Yeah. And when it comes to the relationship between he and the elf lady. I'm assuming oh. you mean Aragon. Yeah. Yeah, Aragon and the n- not elf elf. Princess Arya. Who is not an elf in the movie, but is Doesn't in the books. Me. Yeah. It's just from the second they interact with each other in the dreamscape, it's so clear that it's going to be a romantic thread. And it's like your heart, my heart just sank <laughs> the second I saw that they were going to be like coupled up. I'm like, please, no. There's nothing there. There's no basis why they'd be attracted to each other except that they think each other is hot. And, and there's like, no time to tell that story. And they really don't even try no he clearly has a better chemistry with murtog the actors of course you would say that feel like they actually (laughs) like each other and want to be around each other they are like kind of like flirty teasy and flirty (laughs) the second they meet murtog shows up Saves Aragorn with an arrow and it, like quips at him is just like, aren't you glad I was here to save your back? Right? It's yeah. like, whoa. We, we were while watching the film quoting the Fast and the Furious. I almost had you. You never had me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that every time they're on screen together, the chemistry is so good because they like there's like a sort of competitive nature there, but they obviously see each other as like comrades yeah there's a dynamic this was the like one of the few relationships that i actually felt was kind of believable yeah and that they established like pretty well and when it's revealed that murtog is related to like a traitor of the varden right aragon is like hey hold on that's my buddy that's my my best friend my roommate yeah. you're talking <laughs> my about cousin even yes exactly yeah. We're like family. We just like share an apartment together and like, you know, share all of our meals and <laughs> hold hands. Yeah, you know, just normal <laughs> friend stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Aragon tries to defend Murtog and like get him off of from being put in jail. But uh he tries to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Later. I think he, like, during the battle, he saves Murtog, and then they're like, we're even. Yeah. But even then, they're being kind of flirty and, like, smiling at each other. I was like, this is great. Like, in my head canon, they're the real love interest. That's why he got arrested. Their chemistry was too much better than the heteronormative couple. <laughs> now, I want to be fair to this movie a little bit. <laughs> because it's based on a book, right? Yeah. Now, what would you guys say if I told you that this book was published by a 19-year-old? Yeah, that tracks. I think, like, it tracks, yeah. Like, in that framing, it's kind of impressive. Yeah. Just, oh, yeah, like, totally. you think about, like, a young author. They started writing when he was, like, 15. I respect it. Yeah. 
But you can, when making the movie version, branch out beyond the source material, right? Yeah. And this is something I was talking about with one of our friends after watching the movie, which is that in the 80s, when books were being adapted in the films, they didn't try to like really slavishly stick to the text. Like, Cass and I recently watched The Running Man. Yeah. Which is a very fun Schwarzenegger romp based on a bleak Richard Bachman, that's actually Stephen King, mm -hmm. novel that's, like, super dystopian. And the movie's dystopian, but, like, it's an Arnold action movie, but it fucking works. The book is great, and it's totally different, and it's, like, grim and dark, and the movie works, and it's fun and light and kind of over-the-top. And I think that's okay. Like, I know you're going to get the internet people who are like, oh, but it's not like exactly shot for shot, like page for fa page from my favorite movie. But you don't have to do that. It's a new medium. Like different stories or the same story can be told differently through different mediums. And I think that's okay. Yeah, definitely. I don't think that adaptations of books need to slavishly stick to the text i just think like you want to like make sure you hit major story beats and probably don't change the characters too much but i mean there's a lot of room for creative interpretation there i think yeah absolutely i think that it is a good opportunity when adapting something to make some interesting changes like the film adaptation true which takes many liberties with the source material. Rightly so, I think. I think that's the whole point, which is great. But you know a relationship that is well-established? I mean, I know several. Well, I'm talking about for something personally here, and that's our relationship with our patrons. Oh, wow. It's a very intimate relationship. Do tell us about the patron relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a Patreon account at patreon.com slash swordsandsatire, and on there we have patrons who have opted in to give us some donations every month. Some donations? <laughs> to help us keep the show going, and in exchange they get some cool bonus episodes and art. It's a pretty sweet deal if you think about it. Yeah. And uh, so if you want to join that community... You can, like I said, head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and uh, give us a couple bucks every month to help us keep the show going. Yeah, we'd really appreciate it if you did. That's fire, sir. <laughs> That's fire, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking fire, sir. <laughs> but anyway, back to talking about relationships in Aragon. I believe one notable relationship dynamic even noteworthy even yes prominent in the movie a dragon and their writer yes the most important relationship imaginable the one that is designed to be at the center of the narrative that's right now you see dragons in this world are a sort of spirit you see Okay. They have an egg. Yes. And when they are in egg form, it is assumed that their spirit is aging. Right. Sephira, in egg form, has been waiting 
to find Aragon. And <laughs> she's just waiting for her egg to crack. That's right. She's she's only like a week old. Yeah. And people are like, oh, she's been waiting for you for a thousand years. What the fuck? And maybe that means she's been an egg for a thousand years. But the way they talk about her implies that like on some metaphysical level, she has been accumulating wisdom, has already had like the ideals of what sort of person they want to serve in mind so that when Aragon gets the egg, Safira's like spirit is like, oh, that's my guy. And then hatches because she's ready to work with him. Yeah, they talk about how the dragon will stay in the egg until they know they're with their rider and then they'll hatch. Yeah, that's right. It's the type of relationship that can literally only exist in fiction. Exactly. So when Safira hatches, she mutilates the shit out of Aragon's hand while he's sleeping. True. By giving him a little spiral mark. Sorry, she brands her cattle. Jeez, <laughs> oh, well, she had a dragon. Yes. But there was some cringe stuff about their relationship that we noticed. Yes. So... Let's just look at the benefits uh, for both parties when it comes to being a dragon or being a rider. Okay. When you are a dragon rider. You get a fucking sweet dragon. You get a fucking sweet ass dragon. Yeah. Benefit. They're That's bonded right. to you. Pro. They are here to serve you. Don't right. like that. They, you get to fly around on them. They give you Pro. their life source as Con. as a source of magic. So you can cast magic using your own life source, but you also use theirs. So when Aragon saves Safira in the end using his life magic, he's also using her life magic, but then nothing bad happens to either one of them. Well, you see, they both fall unconscious for a little bit. Oh, okay. So and consequences. Then, and then Aragon's uh, boyfriend wakes him up. Yeah, <laughs> off screen they healed them. That's right. It's the best way to survive in a movie, I guess. Oh, absolutely. So the writer gets a lot of benefits from having a dragon. What does the dragon get from having a writer? They get the right to die. Once, if their rider ever dies. Exactly. Ooh. When a dragon dies, the rider continues to live. And Bor Boros, what? Brom. Brom says that. Bromide. When a dragon <laughs> dies, you don't live much of a life after that. You basically get like instant onset depression. Yeah. Well, you're grieving a relationship that is so deep you can telepathically communicate, right? And your life forces are tied together. Fair. So it's kind of like your soul's entwined. Exactly. Effectively, this is like your soul mount. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, so keep in mind, if the dragon dies, the rider is just grieving. They're right. left grieving. Mm-hmm. If the rider dies, the dragon dies. <laughs> Not a very equal relationship. No. They don't really explain why in the movie, but I kind of got the gist that, like, their emotions run so much deeper than humans that it's like they die instantly from heartbreak or something. Oh, they're like Padme. <laughs> 
Kind oh, of. good. Another Star Wars connection. Yes. And Durza D's Nuts is like, <laughs> you know, they say when you kill a dragon rider, the last thing they hear are the screams of their own dragon dying. That's actually one of the more brutal and awesome lines in the movie. Yes. And he's like really giddy about it too. Yeah, he thinks that's awesome. Yeah, it's delivered <laughs> with that iconic Robert Carlyle twist the knife yeah, inflection. Yeah. Like evil laugh that is so creepy because it's like an evil Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter or titter? Titter. <laughs> he's titting. <laughs> Tittering. And so there's just this strange dynamic because Aragon is 17. He really doesn't know a lot about the world. He is doing his best. He's never left his village except to go to the woods. Exactly. Yeah, no. Aragon is, he doesn't like suck. No. In a lot of ways, he's just like a teenager out of his element doing his best. But (laughs) that being said, he makes a lot of mistakes and (laughs) Saphir is like a thousand year old wise dragon. And she he, has to have a lot of patience for him. He tells her to give him some advice. Yeah, I know. Well, she's very proud and quick to anger. And so Same. a lot of times Aragon will just be like, fuck off, Safira, <laughs> until I call for you. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. I don't like that at all. At least two times in the movies, like, why don't you buzz out of here? And then when I need you, then you can come help. It's like, <laughs> yo. She has a say in this. If you die, she fucking dies. Yeah, seriously. He treats her like shit. He orders her around like she doesn't want to go to the keep to rescue the princess because she's worried they're both going to die. And it's true. Like they would have if Brom didn't sacrifice himself to save them. And um, he was like ordering her around. She's like, I I think we're going to die. I don't think we should go. And Aragon is like, well, you know what? I want to, so I'm ordering you to, and you can't say no to me. The dragon-human relationships in this film are so troubling. He's pretty abusive to her for a while, actually. Effectively, yeah, no, he is. Uh, Effectively, I, I think what they are trying to get at is that dragons are like knights, right? They find, uh, like, a writer or like a king sort of thing where they have complete loyalty and belief in this individual and that to me that has big knight of the round table vibes yeah i can see it or like a paladin so the dragon waits to find like because it's a spirit at in egg form it waits to find a human spirit that they it, can vibe with. Yeah, yeah, they Basically. can vibe with, believe in hard enough to dedicate to live and die for. And so that's when they hatch, and that's who they trust to dedicate their life and get fulfillment from serving. But it also feels a lot like slavery. It really yeah. does. It really fucking does. It feels like... It absolutely is. That's why it feels like it's it. like oh, there's there's good slave masters and bad oh, slave masters. God. That is there though. I mean, the dragon riders will rise again. It's oh, true. Fuck. Also, dragon riders are the like the they are historically at the top of the social ladder. Yes, and responsible for its destruction, and the only thing that can save people now. It's like 
expecting billionaires in uh, a capitalist economy to uh, save everyone and have charity. Well, Cass, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. My least favorite thing that people do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I noticed an interesting series of events in this movie that I'm going to kind of sum up with, if I could coin a phrase, I'm going to call it class struggle. Oh. Oh, damn. I hear that music is coming. That came out of nowhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, guys, what we've got here is a classic story of resistance against a tyrannical ruler, right? Yeah. We've got a king, Boo. Hiss. Thank you. In John Malkovich, who is, like, dominating the land. He's conscripting people. He's carrying people, like, having people carried off for speaking out against the king. And we don't even know why he's building his army. For evil deeds. Guys. <laughs> okay, Come on. Okay, sure. Generic evil behavior. He wants to shut down rebellion. Yeah, oh. he, he just wants to make sure that he's in top he's on top. There's a bunch of rebels all throughout the galaxy. I mean the land. Yeah. And the emperor, I mean the king, just wants to put a stop to it. So he sends his black clad knight off to go fight against the farm boy, in a battle that concludes in an air fight. Right. <laughs> so a completely original idea. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I am beginning to feel bad for how much I am comparing this movie to Star Wars with the context that I just gave that was written by a guy who was 19 at the time. Honestly, it's impossible not to think about the first three movies that came out of Star Wars while you're watching Aragon because it pulls so much from them it does it does it's trying really hard to be its own thing it just is not succeeding look we know it's a power fantasy you want to ride a dragon and have magic it's sick as hell yeah i want to fly an x-wing and use the four i mean what you said okay would you rather fly an X-Wing and use the Force or have a dragon and use elven magic? Put it in the comments below. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then they have comments down below. Um, Force the comments. <laughs> so this is great, right? We've got resistance against the tyrannical leadership. We've got like classic stories of resistance and rebellion we've got brahm this snarky guy who's like oh the king can bite my butt <laughs> i think that's what jeremy iron says the king actually cried when he heard about that line <laughs> <laughs> it's also fun you know just as an aside to see jeremy irons as like the heroic guide when a few years earlier he played the evil sorcerer in the dungeon and dragons movie yeah that's why he's so familiar. And it's also funny to me. He's also Scar. Yes. And it's also funny to me that Ed Spieler was the protagonist in this movie because I've mainly seen him in shows that I watch and he's always like the bad guy or antagonist and he's really good at that. Right. <laughs> now, see, I just mentioned Scar, who is, of course, from the Lion King movie. 
And as you know, the Lion King exists in the Kingdom Hearts universe. Yes. That doesn't have any connection to this movie because Scar is not in this movie, just Jeremy Irons. Right, right. Of course, that all being said, <laughs> Disney is the company that is trying to reboot this series oh, as a TV Christ. show. So Sora can come to this universe with Goofy as a dragon. It's because Ooh. Disney is going to own everything. It does seem like it. And that's a class struggle. And Disney, if you want to buy our <laughs> podcast and support us, I mean, just hit us up. If you want to silence our complaints about you forever. We do talk about a lot of Disney movies. Then fund us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll sell out. I need food badly. But you can't have lasers and laughs. You can. Please purchase it. <laughs> we'll talk about Tr I'll, I'll say nice things about Tron Legacy. Nice. A movie that Jack's dad told me must have been a punishment for some terrible thing he did in a past life. So, anyways, I'm on board, right? Of course, we've got peasants as, like, the main characters. They're rising up through oppression and everything, fighting against this evil dictatorship. And then what do we do? What do we do in the end? We go to Varden, and we just continue this disgusting narrative of the good king. Yeah, the benevolent ruler. Also, like... The benevolent elite class that has a resource nobody else can have, the Dragon Riders. Right. Uh, who will use their power for good. Of course they will. Aragon has magic that nobody else can wield, except for Galbatorix. Malkovich. And a, dra Malkovich, Malkovich. a dragon that can just lay waste to an entire army, which they do during that battle with her dragon fire. That's right. And just one person making all the moral decisions about who lives and who dies. Absolute power is going to corrupt him. No, but I wasn't even talking about Aragon. I was talking about the dwarven king, Hrothgar. Yes. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good dwarf in fantasy fiction. Yeah. Too one problem wasn't appearing in this film. One problem is that what uh, this guy is less of a dwarf than the dwarves from The Hobbit. Yes, <laughs> true. Oh god. So already said, but come on, a good king, really, really, doesn't are we doing exist. this? I mean, Aragorn is playing <laughs> that exact, the exact same role. Aragorn. Yeah. Aragorn. Well, Arag Aragorn is. Because Aragorn is like the original, like, benevolent king archetype that I talked about. Yes, but Aragorn is also playing a benevolent, absolute power wielder. Yes. Because what do the dragons really provide? They provide healing magic, yes. They're actually there to just kill anyone who's disrupting the peace. They're just weapons of mass destruction it's that true. are inevitably going to be used against. The little guy, as soon as the next king becomes a tyrant. Safira is so excited at using her body for violence. <laughs> she's psyched. That's a good point. Every time they fight, she's like, finally, the demon is released. It's like, <laughs> oh, God, what did you say? You mean I can go sick house on them? Yeah, exactly. My dark passenger needs to have his day in the light. <laughs> oh, jeez. Hey, when you watch this movie, listener, you're just going to be blown away by all of her dialogue when they go into combat. She's like, oh, finally, I've been waiting for this. 
I mean, I gotta say, it's fun to see, or at least to hear Raquel Wise in this role. Yeah. Oh, I she know. She usually gets, like, really meek roles. Oh, she killed it. <laughs> and all those people she also killed. And she loved it. She laughed. Live, laugh, kill. Yes. <laughs> So the long and short of it is people are just stuck in these cycles and uh, it's hard for them to imagine a world that's any different. That's true. It's too bad. A world where the whims of fickle dragon riders (laughs) and kings decide what, you know, the entire culture is going to look like. They just treat it like it's the natural order of things. And I don't think that it has to be. Much like people treat capitalism IRL. (laughs) And it's not true. (laughs) Not true. <laughs> not a natural order? No. Your Tesla's not a dragon, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that was... <laughs> All right, well, on that note, I've got one question... <laughs> That I want to end this with. Is Aragon art? Er, didn't, don't you mean Ergon? Is Ergon art? <laughs> <laughs> Calling it Aragon and Aragorn is like Cull and Kroll. <laughs> Those movies that we constantly mix up. I still up. don't understand which one is which. We have not watched Kroll. We've watched Cole the Conqueror. I guess Kroll is the movie with the glaive uh, that's actually like a spinny knife. <laughs> I guess we're watching that one for our anniversary later. Probably. In, in September. Perhaps. But for now, Aragon <laughs> is it art. I'll tell you what the real art in this movie is. It's Sephira goddamn. Wow. Right? <laughs> that's true. Right? I was expecting... The most half-assed PS2-looking yeah. dragon that we got in the first Dungeons and Dragons movie that Jeremy <laughs> yes. Irons was in. Oh my god! When did that one come out? Two thousand and one. So about five years. But technology—I mean, it was advancing. Sephira in this movie looks fantastic. I would put this dragon up against a lot of CGI today. Yeah. Absolutely. I was thinking when we were watching, I was like, this looks like it could have been made more recently. It's true. It does. They put a lot of work into making the dragon look good. And like, granted, this is a movie about a fucking dragon. The dragon's not like a side character. It's going to be appearing throughout the film. They nailed it. I just want to say real quick, when she was still a baby. They um, called them worms. That um the dynamic was between her and Aragon was really cute. She was almost like a puppy. And She's adorable in her I puppy mode. Would have loved if we just got to luxuriate in that just a little bit longer to establish their bond a little bit more. Instead of having her fly off screen and then fly back fully grown. Yeah, it wasn't great. It's true. She <laughs> she looks incredible. She does. 2006. It's been years. The model in the of the dragon feels like it has weight. It feels like she moves through the space. However, yeah. that's done. Yes. It feels like they use some kind of stand-in for the dragon. Yes, they do. To give it like a sense of movement that probably it Andy well. Circus. I was yeah. thinking of probably Andy Circus. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Totally. Benedict but Cumberbatch did a pretty good job of Smaug. The yes. quality of her scales and the lighting on her body fit pretty well to the environments she was into. Yeah. But also, like, just she felt like she took up space on screen. So probably like a surrogate in place really helps. And um, I just really got the sense that when she was touching something, I got a feeling like she could have been really there. Yeah. Also, her personality, really sick. Like, <laughs> you, could, you could fall. She's repulsive. <laughs> no, she's awesome. You could really fall into the trap as a writer of being like, it's a dragon. Enough said, right? Right. She has personality where she she's does. like proud. She's a properly proud character, which is cool. Where and it really makes the whole plot where she's subservient to Aragon even worse. I know, I know. yeah. Because there's the there the lines where Brahm is like, oh, she's a young dragon. She can't really breathe flame yet. And she's like, yeah, lucky for you. And shit like that. Where it's just so cool that she knows she's a badass dragon. Yeah. And she's just rocking it. Yeah. She... You know, she's proud, she's ready for a fight, and it's it's hot. So a hot dragon. Because <laughs> yeah. of the fire breath. Yes. <laughs> True. I think that this movie is art. It's saying something. It's about fighting back against tyranny, but also about finding yourself and kind of believing in yourself. Yeah, there's a strong sense of, like, character relationships I mean, so much so that, like, I was kind of complaining about them, right? Like, they spent so long, like, trying to tell us that there's a character relationship without showing it. But, like, they were building up to something. Yeah. I think this movie needed, like, just a few more passes from some writers, you know? And especially right now, as we're going through a writer's strike, we really see the importance of having writers working on your films. Honestly, the dynamic is all out of whack. Writers should be one of the most important people in any room. Absolutely. And now here's the thing. Christopher Paolini, the author of the book, is really hands-on with his adaptations. Like, he is involved with some of these movies. I don't know how involved he was with this one, but I guess he has some new stuff that's coming out based on his books that he is actually, like, doing screenwriting for. Oh, cool. And, like, I think he and his sister are doing it. For, I think that's awesome. Yeah, for the most part, I found that is a strength for a project. Yeah. And, again, like, I'm going to give this movie a pretty big pass because it's based on a book written by a teenager. When you put it that way, it seems, like we said before, really impressive. Yeah. It's derivative, sure. It's also fun. The series was popular with young people. Aragon got people reading, you know? Yeah. It was like at a time when fantasy was really blowing up for young readers. And this is one of those stories that really resonated with people. If it captures your imagination and gets you to think more deeply, then what better definition of art is out there? Yeah, absolutely. My biggest problem is that I see so much potential in this story that just doesn't get captured by the film. Fingers crossed for the new series, if it's been made. <laughs> I'm actually interested. You know what? I'll watch anything with Saphir in it. Nice. <laughs> nice. I'm also looking forward to the next movie we're going to talk about, 
So that'll be in two weeks. We're going to talk about Cloud Atlas for our movie for Pride Month, and I'm really looking forward to it. And in between that, we're going to have our skit on Aragon, too. It's going to make you laugh. It's going to make you cry. It might even make you poop. Poop your pants. You know, I was going to say it might make you hungry, but now I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair, too. It might do that. Maybe that's better. But hey, if you just can't get enough of our show until then, you can always hit us up on social media by following us at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and social media platform deleted. (laughs) And like we mentioned before, we do have a Patreon account. So if you have the means and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and join our community. We'd appreciate it if you did. That's right. But if you don't have a few dragon eggs you've stolen from the king to send to your favorite podcasters, another way you can support our podcast is by heckin' telling people about it. That's right. We don't advertise, so word of mouth is pretty great for us. If you want to, you can tell your friends and family about us. And... You could even listen together. And, you know, what better way is there to enjoy your favorite art than with your favorite people? You got to share the love, you know? Exactly. And isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. No. The hokey pokey is what it's all about. (laughs) Your love is fat. And your loved ones are meat. And let your your fat soak into their meat. (laughs) I mean, your loved ones probably are meat. I'll say that much. That's right. All right, guys. Well, until next time. Hail Hail Crom!